0: Welcome back to the Obsessed podcast, which is an extension of the Obsessed comedy series, which is an extension of me, Seth Colton. Oh, I hate myself. But I love this interview with showrunner, writer, creative genius, Jeff Astroff. Jeff created the show, Trial and Error, which ran for two seasons on NBC. I firmly believe there will be a season three and beyond once they find their new home. Trial and Error has a stellar cast. Among the actors on the show, John Lithgow, Kristen Chenoweth, Nicholas DiAugusto, Jayma Mays, Stephen Boyer, and Sherry Shepard. I was a cast member on an episode in Season 1, and I seriously had the time of my life. The show takes place in the small town of East Peck, where the residents are obviously referred to as Peckers. My character was a Pecker, and I was happily surprised when reading an article from the AV Club That seems to mention me. It says, East Peck is plagued by unemployment and obesity. I think that's an obvious review of my performance, correct? And it's not the first time I've been called a plague. Anywho, Jeff was a dream to work for. His sister, Liz Astroff, is also a successful TV writer-producer and has been responsible for some of my favorite comedies. They were not born into a Hollywood dynasty. They both worked their way up from the ground floor. And I love a good underdog. I'm so pleased to have Jeff tell his own story here on the podcast. This is Obsessed with TV showrunner Jeff Astroff. So you're a, a personal hero of mine mostly because I find that when I watch TV comedy, I don't laugh. And then I saw Trial and Error. Uh, Actually, I was on an episode of Trial and Error. I read it first. I read the script in the dressing room and laughed out loud, which never happens. And I think I've told you this before. Then the series came out. Every episode of both seasons that aired was hilarious. And I want to give you credit because... It feels a little bit like a British comedy to me in the fact that there's no just set up, set up joke rule. It's joke, 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 something happens. Joke, 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 joke. How did you come up with the idea for trial and error?
1: So first of all, thank you. It makes me laugh too. And uh, I should also say that you were the only person in two seasons of all the uh, scores of guest stars that we had uh, that ever gave me a gift. So thank you. And that's Mm -hmm. why you've been invited back. Oh, really? Because of the gift? solely because of the gift. Now <laughs> and also you did an outstanding job uh, on you, in your uh, in your scene. Um so the uh you know I I've, I've been writing for I guess professionally now for 26 or 27 years and mostly multicam. In fact, exclusively multicam uh before trial and Error except for a uh, nine episode stint on Angie Tribeca where I was helping my buddy out. And that's the first time I I did a single cam and I realized I really don't want to do a single cam. Um, because it just takes forever. Uh, but then i had heard actually that, um, on modern family docu style, um, shows, which is two camera basically that they go faster. So it was really out of laziness, uh, that, uh, I decided that I was going to do, um, you know, I, I was kind of bored of the media of, um, the medium, I guess, of, of, uh, the format of multicam, just the setup up joke, set up joke. Uh and I was not covering any fresh ground in any of the shows. I've worked for some good multi Obviously I worked for Friends, which is arguably one of yeah. one of the best ones. Um but you know, that was uh back in the real golden age. And um but and that wasn't mine or else I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> um and <laughs> be doing this podcast on my yeah, uh, for free. Yes, um, <laughs> uh, with for my high life t shirt. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm always, um, always looking for new ideas. And then I, uh, my wife and I were watching the documentary, uh, The Staircase, on DVD, which is how it uh, used to be for the young people out there. There was, like, uh, these tiny little records called DVDs. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were really, really hooked on it. And I realized, wow, I, I don't watch anything like this. I'm, like, really addicted to this. And as I was watching it, I said, you know, if the guy playing Michael Peterson um, – I mean, it was Michael Peterson – uh, with Steve Carell I said this would be hilarious I said look at the You know the stakes Are extraordinarily high uh, It's life and death And that's what makes comedy great Is how high the stakes are right. Usually Unless it's like slapstick comedy But it, typically in sitcoms They always say What are the stakes um, You know and, and typically This stuff I've been doing Was you know The the husband forgets the you know generically the, the husband forgets the wife 's birthday, the yeah. anniversary, or he wants to have sex on his fortieth birthday and she 's busy with the kid i mean so the stakes are very, very low, uh, and because of that, it takes a lot more to wind up the joke, so I figured like wow, the stakes are really really built in and and to this, and I pitched it to Warner Brothers i like ran over the next day and and uh, the three uh, ladies I pitched to at Warner Brothers said, you want to do a sh- comedy about a guy who murders his wife? And I said, yes. <laughs> and they said, a comedy? I said, yes. And they said, what else do you have? Let- let's do the thing about the 40-year-old guy again. I was like, oh, God. And it was like three years of coming back. I was like, I really want to do the staircase comedy. Did you watch it? And they're like, yeah, I, I just don't see it. Uh, and and I pitched it to my friends at TBS. Also, they were like, "Yeah, I'm sure it's something else." And it was just like nobody could see this as a comedy. And finally, um, I think I just wore them down. And I said, "Look, I'll do my multi-camera, uh, develop a multi-camera, but I really want to do this too." And and they said, "Okay, if you you can do this as long as we hook you up with a procedural writer, because you don't know anything about it, it was it was a new genre, really." And so uh, they hooked me up with this guy, Matt Miller, who I loved. out of Lethal Weapon now? Yes, Lethal Weapon. And, um, you know, we just started talking. And, and, uh, you know, it took him a a second to get to why it was a comedy. And then, you know, he had the incredible idea. He said, let's do a different case every year. I, I wanted to do a different part of the case. And he said, that way you can get a big actor. And that was really, you know, he contributed a lot. And he knew about production. I didn't know about anything about single camera production, which is very, very different. Um, because you don't really build st- stages. A lot and of it's on location. Did he get your
0: sense of humor? Because you really are coming into saying, like, we're doing a comedy about a guy who potentially yes, murdered his he, wife.
1: Yes, he got it right away. He and I were, like, separated at Hebrew school. We were oh, yeah. just, like, really, <laughs> we hit it off. As soon as I found out that his uh, he was best friends with one of the Menendez brothers, he and I were, oh, no. yes, growing up, we were fast friends. I bet. And I showed questions. Him, yes, and I showed him the, uh, the staircase. Yeah, I had an ongoing bit with him because he's also a germaphobe. And <laughs> um, my bit with him was I was watching the Menendez Brothers documentary, and they talked about how one of them, Lyle or Eric – was uh, violated by a toothbrush, and all I could think oh, no. of was Matt sleeping over his house, wondering <laughs> if he used that toothbrush. Oh no! And, um, and you, know. you said that out loud. He- oh yeah, we we <laughs> bonded over that. Yeah, Matt's a great, great guy. He's a he and I we hit it off. We hit it off great. I mean, his you know he has a, a single camera background, and and you know a lot of his stuff involved one car getting t-boned by a truck and i had to kind of edge him away from that but you know i I knew structure more of sitcoms better than he did but he got my sense of humor quickly and he added tons and tons of stuff to it and really had it was key so we we you know right around the time we wrote it we pitched it nobody got it here nobody quite kind of got it understood it it was it was seen the way I sold it really internally was uh, the office at a taxidermist. <laughs> like they had to, you always have to in order to break new ground, yeah. unless you are someone like Greg Berlanti, I guess, who's really not. He's breaking other ground, other people's ground mm-hmm. with like DC Comics. But right. I think in, unless you're like a, this a superstar writer who kind of, uh, you know. You have to have something that meets something else that they've heard of. So this was the office at a taxidermist, right? And they got they got that analogy for me. Really, it wasn't even a rip off of that. It was only a rip off of uh, of the staircase. It was not even and these these yeah. murder documentaries. And then uh, at, right after we turned it in, um, making a murderer came out, and that was like the hottest thing. And then so we were really it, it, we yeah. became the zeitgeist right after we turned it in, and and we were. For sure, I you know we said like if we don't do this, somebody else is going to do it. So um, we did it. They picked it up. Uh, you know, uh, it was developed initially for Netflix because I wanted to do something that was you could yes, binge.
0: It makes so much sense. It's it's a good home for it.
1: Uh, it would have been a great home for it. Uh, I'm still convinced to this day. I'm grateful to my friends at NBC. Absolutely. but I, I think everybody would agree, probably even NBC, that it was. Uh, in hindsight, we should have gone streaming with it, but the, that kind of market wasn't really established yet. I mean, it right. was like th- three years ago and Netflix wasn't what Netflix is today. Right. Um, and, um, you know, we, NBC really, really made a push for it, a hard push for it. And, and I think and-
0: they, they, they got the concept a little bit because they did start putting it out two episodes at a time so you could watch back to back.
1: Yeah, but it didn't. It that didn't help us at all because mm. we were never paired. I, I think if you're going to commit to this show as not a serialized show, either you put it on your, um, you know, your streaming service or Hulu or whatever, which they couldn't do because Warner Brothers owned the rights to it. It was all like uh, I, I learned a lot of stuff that yeah. writers ain't supposed to know and. Um, you know there are ownership issues. So I, I, you know, look, I, I think they could have done it right after the good place, and they didn't. And they, we never aired. I don't think we aired a single episode after another comedy that wasn't us. Oh. So it wasn't, it wasn't conventional. Mm-hmm. The, the show wasn't conventional, but it wasn't. It just, I, I'm convinced it just wasn't programmed right. And you know, we're in the first season. We had uh, thirteen episodes aired over a total of five weeks in three right. different time slots and it's just not a way to really promote a show cuz you you right. have to catch on and also if you miss it it's you know it's uh, i mean that was the whole thing about the show is that absolutely. it was serialized
0: absolutely and that's why people when they're watching the staircase are binging it i mean i right. watched that probably in two days yeah
1: yeah yeah i was obsessed with the staircase when it out. when my sister uh, when it came out my sister my sister's also a writer a hilarious writer and uh, she and I were going to go down to to Durham to try to solve it. I mean, I have a, I have a folder on my phone that said Peterson case. It wasn't even about. This was two years before even trial and error was even a, th- a thought. Wow. Just uh, and you know I'd email David Rudolph and and I just got to re I just got to meet David Rudolph um, at an event. Uh, just the lawyer. Uh, we used as a consultant this guy, Lou Shapiro, because I wanted to get a legal consultant. Everything in the show is real, by the way. Everything in the show is either based on something that happened or could happen. We followed real. I had a legal consultant. I went to court. I sent my actors to court. Wow. Yeah, everything follows something that would have happened. And and we had this lawyer, and I introduced him, and he loved it. And then he started. He was kind of a celebrity lawyer. And then he had David Rudolph uh, speak and did a behind-the-staircase thing and had an owl expert and the – and uh had other people from the documentary the Staircase, uh speak, and I met David Rudolph and David Rudolph was not a fan of the show um and um he uh but you know who was a fan of the show mm-hmm. trial and Error? Michael Peterson no yes, and I because I became friends with um you could oh behind there is the whole thing in the Peterson case right there to cover the uh the some the local newspaper um and he became um, a fan. well he became a fan of the show and I became fan with this uh fans i became friends with this uh reporter down in north carolina who was obsessed with the show because she covered the peterson case and um she said has michael seen this show and i said i don't know and she said i said can you ask him she said i don't know <laughs> and uh so i uh she said let me ask my editor and my editor said i could ask him and she you know you know, DM'd me right back and said, not only did he see the show, he loved the show. And he said, you know, what can I say? Anybody would want, uh, you know, it was really, really silly. My daughters didn't see the show. I'm actually scrabble, online Scrabble buddies with Michael Peterson's former son-in-law now. I did wow. a very deep dive into this. But
0: how weird is that? It When there's somebody that you're studying, like you did Michael Peterson, just as, as researcher, you're fascinated by it, and then all of a sudden you're connected to him in real
1: life it, it, was, it was very very weird So I, I wanted to write And uh, this, this woman um, said Michael Peterson wants to meet you And I'm like This is the best day of my life This is like a hero yeah. of mine This serial killer And she said, she said to me She said is it weird She told her editor Is it weird that I like Michael Peterson Who's definitely a murderer Because he likes trial and error And uh, the answer is no That's not weird And uh, so I started writing this email to Michael Peterson, big fan of your work. (laughs) Big fan of your work. And, you know, thank you. And uh, so my sister said, rightfully said, why don't you run that by your lawyer? I'm like, why? What's the worst that could happen? She's like, well, he is kind of a serial killer. And, you know, he kind of. Allegedly. Allegedly. And um, spoiler alert, he's now home. And um, so I sent it to my lawyer and my lawyer wrote me back just the best email. The first line was, um, this whole thing is fraught with problems, the murder aside, the murder (laughs) notwithstanding and um he said like I don't even why would you want to do this I was like cuz it's cool and he said yeah. you know I hate being the guy who said don't contact a serial killer but uh I wouldn't do it so I didn't get to do it but they did a story on Frida Black when Frida Black died the uh you know the prosecutor um she who Caroline Keene uh, was was loosely based on um I was in her obituary and I thought wow that's oh, pretty wow. cool like, uh, you know, so, so I got that, I got to do that and, and, um, you know, that was, if you actually, if you look at my bathroom, you'll see a picture from the trial of, uh, Michael Peterson, uh, getting handcuffed right after he's arrested and, uh, I'll let you look at it. Oh the,
0: yeah, I'll check it out. I was going to ask about your bathroom earlier, but I was told the only bathroom in the area is over at editorial building, but that's, um, that's nothing.
1: Uh, about a mile and a half away. It, it depend, know, honestly, there. it depends on the level. This is really kind of,
2: this
0: is private.
1: It's that's, like, like I'd say you're like A minus list. i say it's like yeah, A-list. I get it. Maybe get it. next. Like Jaleel White was here and... Um, he used the bathroom without me? He didn't even ask me oh. to use it. He just, he's like, where's the bathroom? Never mind, I see it. And that's <laughs> uh, Jaleel White. What are you going to say? Yeah. No, Jaleel White, you can't use the well, A-list bathroom. He's an awkward. A-lister.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I, before I move on to your history, I want to wrap up the trial and error real, real quick. I had a really interesting time on trial and error. I was on the last episode of the first season. I think it was the last day of filming. Um, I was treated so well by the cast, which doesn't often happen when you're a small day player. And I think you had just written the role maybe the night before because I got a a direct offer from casting and I'd never met you before. But it also meant that I didn't have a chance to see the show it hadn't started airing yet so i didn't know the tone so i came in sort of reading the line differently than what you guys would have liked and you had incredible patience like to take me to the level where you wanted me to go
1: you were hilarious by the way i
0: really appreciate that, that. that. but the, the truth is most people especially the last day of shooting would be like dude just say the line i'm leaving I think Jeff Blitz was the director. He was amazing as well. But when you came out to explain what you wanted after the 50th time of me not getting it, you were hilarious. And it wasn't just because you're the funniest person in Hollywood. It's because you're the kindest.
1: Um, I... uh... Take uh, exception with that I'm not the kindest Um, Fine you could use my bathroom (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know It um, Well thank you that's very very nice For you to say for uh, both of those accounts I I, um, You know look I, I think that how your set is reflects um on TV everybody I had the greatest cast and yes. the greatest director and and yes. you know I, I this was my first time doing a show like this um, This is the first time in my 20 something years I had my own show and I knew exactly what the show was I knew exactly what the tone was but I also hired people whom I empowered and I will say this I will a friend of mine gave me this advice and I will now give it to uh your listeners or thank you to or me. readers yeah. or okay. to you just to you i notice this is not plugged into anything so really just to <laughs> you so. is that um a's higher a's and b's higher c's and uh, wow it, which is really that was uh really wow. resonated um and you know and i said you know one of my big fears uh coming in and, and i think a fear of, you know is, is how am i going to be as a showrunner and my big fear was, am I going to listen to other voices? Because I think what happens a lot of times, and you mentioned you want to talk about what's like to yeah. run a show. It's it, running a show is really just the uh, pre. It's it's really just the immediate stages before having your uh, bowel bisected and uh, <laughs> having a colostomy bag put in. Because it's really. Um, it's terrible. and uh, No, you don't mean that. No, I, I love it. I love what I do. It is, it is grueling work and it's so high pressure. And I think that – I think a lot of showrunners um, – I don't know if showrunners, like really successful showrunners become assholes or real assholes become successful showrunners. Uh, a lot of people told me it's the latter and huh. uh, maybe I'd be more successful if I was more of an asshole. But um, I don't really have that in me. Um, yeah. I know what I want, and I also trust the people. Uh, the you know the the casting people we had, uh, you know, uh, you had Valco Miller for Valco for Miller, the show. right? Ken and Nikki, um, or Nikki and Ken, and not order. Mm-hmm. Um, they were A's, and I trusted everybody they brought to me. I think this is there, there's so many things that are firsts on this show for me in in my storied you know thousands of hours of television. Uh, one was that we. Didn't recast a single person.
0: I was going to ask you that.
1: Recast a single person. Table
0: reads. Everybody got through it.
1: Table reads. Everybody got through it. Um, I don't even think we changed a part. You know, the table reads were magical. Uh, It's also because we had we had an unbelievable cast. Not only that, I didn't have a single in two seasons. I didn't have two seasons. The second season we did over. We did probably six hundred and fifty scenes. The first season in ten episodes, and the first season we probably did around six hundred scenes, and and so we're you know we're talking between twelve and thirteen hundred scenes. I didn't have a single actor question a line. Mom. I didn't have a single actor, and and, and we're talking
0: big actors. I, yes. just for people who might not know, John Lithgow for season one was number one on the call sheet. Right, and
1: Kristen Chenoweth in season two, and mm-hmm. but all of them were so nice, and they were you know. Um, other shows I've worked on, um, the only other person I've worked on really like who had that pedigree and was that nice was Julie Louis Dreyfus and, Mm. and, you know, they're just hard workers and, and everybody owned the characters. They knew what they were doing. Nobody was defensive about it. So they weren't going to be an a-hole to, uh, you know, you you say it's uh, you know, a a small part and there there was really no, I mean, you did a really memorable Mm. part And, you know, and Ken and Nikki said, uh, I think it was Ken said, we have the guy for you, this guy, Seth Colton, you know, look at him, we saw him was like, great, if you trust him, I trust him. And, and, you know, you, you did it perfectly. And maybe it took you a little, I I don't I only remember you doing it well. And I remember really, really laughing. And, and, you know, just, you know, I, I, I am still I have a text chat with I could start right now, I could text something to my cast, I have a text and we will go on for hours we, we talk probably three or four times a, a week now
0: do you think part of that and this goes back to the showrunner talk this is the first show that's yours completely yes. do you think you feel so much more connected to it or was the experience the same whether or not you were the co-ep or a writing producer would you have felt as connected to it
1: you know, I I wrote the last show I did before this was a show called Ground Floor, and I was really close to my cast. And I, you know, if, if I'm running a show, oh, look, I put a hundred percent of myself into every single show I, do, I I do, every job I have, every job I've ever done, from delivering sandwiches to to running a show. I've 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 needed to be the best. That's my own whatever insecurity. Um, but um, you know, certainly this show, I knew it better than anybody Mm -hmm. and you know and and because of that sometimes I would I would lovingly butt up against a network and you know and and I there were some things I wouldn't change I wouldn't let them question comedy because I know comedy better than they do if they if it was a matter of we don't think that's funny then and I do then it's going to get in but if it's a matter of we don't follow that we don't understand that then it'll, I'll have to fight harder for it to get in. And, uh, yeah. but you know, there, there's stuff I defer to them also. I mean, I, I, I don't believe in just being one of these guys that battles people. I, I, I think you really, really have to pick your battles. And, and I, my, you know, with the director, Jeff Blitz, who was an Emmy winner on the office, you know, there were, he and I got along so well. And yeah, he's fantastic. Man. He's unbelievable. And, um, he just a, a real genius. And, and, You know, and there were certain things that he and I didn't agree with. Ultimately, I had the final say on stuff, but there were tons of stuff I deferred to him on. Our editors were geniuses. I deferred to them. You know, every department, every department I I hired A's on, and and if they're better at that job than I am, which was I'm not an editor, I'm not an actor, Mm -hmm. I'm not a, you know, i would not a director, um, I'm a coffee drinker. And that's really... (laughs) As the
0: showrunner... What kind of responsibilities do you have? Do you hire all of the staff? Does everything go through you, from the writers to the lighting people?
1: You know, you basically, you hire heads of departments. You know, the first thing you do, um, the first thing you do when you get a show picked up, and and I know this from trial and error, and and I hope to have this experience uh, shortly with another show I'm doing, is you hire a casting director that's the first thing you do is hire a casting director yeah because you need to get cast especially network is now the shows I'm doing now and pitching because I, I, I'm kind of so disappointed with my uh, the fact that here I am having a show that was so critically acclaimed um, that didn't get picked up for a season three that I'm
0: and do you think it's it's not going to go anywhere because I still I, think it's going to
1: I I it's Really, based on on nothing, that I think it will. It. <laughs> it's okay. based on a. It's just based on this little place in my heart that I can't let it go, and and you know, and I've that 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 I believe that something good will happen with it.
0: As a consumer of
1: entertainment,
0: and as somebody who doesn't laugh easily, I know we are hungry for things that are going to change the mood and and lighten us up. And yeah. I, trial I, and error I, is
1: that show. It is just a pure comedy. It is pure comedy. It was. It was. Uh, and I talked to actually another interview yesterday about this. I Dude, you're make. like an interviewer. What's happening? I'm I thought a, it was special. No, 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 no. Anybody, okay. I will talk to anybody. <laughs> I actually no. didn't even know. I just. I keep these microphones here. And just, <laughs> sometimes, usually, there's nobody on the couch, but I'll just talk and talk. My assistants try to have me taken off the lot. I don't even work here, to be honest. <laughs> So going back, but so so yes, the first thing you do is the first thing, the most important part of writing, and I will say this is cast. Um, You're only as
0: good as as your cast is. Do you ever write for a specific actor or famous person that you see, and you're like, you know what, I've got something around this, like they used to do in the '80s with. Comedians, or do you have a concept and then you get the casting director to find the person that fits
1: your ma- your yeah, mind? Yeah, that's that's I- exact. That's how I do it. I've tried to do it the other way, and it's never been successful uh-huh. to to write to a specific person. Just because I, the characters are very very well developed, they're very well thought out. Like I know every character, and people assume in both uh, John's case and and uh, Lithgo especially and Kristen that we wrote the parts for them, and it's not true. They they were both each of them, and it's not an insult to them because they both were the exact right people for it. They were each the fifth person hmm. uh, on our list hmm. and uh, nobody could have done it better than oh, each of them did. And fantastic. And, and um, they brought a lot to it. And once you have the actor, then you write to it, but the character has to remain consistent. It's not, um, you know, everybody said, oh, you named him Larry Henderson because of Harry and the Hendersons and that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. His name was Larry Henderson from when we sent the script to Steve Carell. Hmm and um you know and john just became larry henderson for us and so the first thing you want to do is you get a casting director and then we got a director on board and jeff blitz was our number one choice uh for... so you didn't rotate directors it was a... yeah so you do you have to rotate directors and i didn't i didn't know this because i hadn't done single camera but Unless you shoot them all as like a movie and you block shoot them, you have to prep episodes while you're filming episodes. So you could, you know, Jeff would do like two, like we'd cross board two episodes, and then we, you know, we'd have another director come in, and then Jeff would prep for the next episode. And Jeff, Jeff was our uh, our producing director, so he was on, he was around at all times. And I've never he he put in as much time and work as I did, and which is remarkable because it you know he he had just as much, you know, investment in the show too and he still does. Um you know, so um we go
0: casting director, director.
1: So it was really casting director, director, and then um at the same time you want a line producer. That's that's all in the same uh, it, it's all the same thing. And also because it, for networks specifically, there's a feeding frenzy. Like around, it really around this time of year, you're going to see in the next two to three weeks shows get picked up. And then, you know, it, it's a little bit different now with streaming because streaming goes, I, I have a pilot at Showtime that I Excellent. pitched uh, well over a year ago. Oh, wow. And I'm just, and I just handed it because I had to put it on hold because I was shooting, mm-hmm. you know, last season of Trial and Error and I, and I just handed it in to the network, hopefully for the last time before you know, God willing, they pick it up. But, um,
0: since we're, let me butt in, since we're talking about show running right now, are you still writing scripts to sell or is everything that you sell going to be attached to you being able to take care of the show?
1: So, um, that's a good question. So, um, I, I wrote a script, uh, that is, uh, was based on an idea that Sharon Horgan had that she and I developed together. She of catastrophe. who's was a genius lady also supreme talent like a little much for me in fact she's like a plus i don't care for that um hire a's but don't hire a pluses because then you'll just feel like garbage about yourself um but um so she had this great idea for this uh horror comedy and i want to do genre bending i want to stay in the world of genre bending like trial and error was and and uh, she and i developed this show which is so much fun for showtime and uh, I will I will run that. I wrote the pilot, and um, based on a story that we both had, she really came up with the initial story, and then I developed it with her. And um, so I wrote the pilot to that. I would run that, and then uh, I have another show that I'm going to be out pitching with these two other guys, and a third one that um, these two friends of mine are in the writing that I would supervise it. That I'll help them write it. But you know, my look, my. Goal when I am alone with myself and my Lord is to uh, say that I hope for a miracle of trial and error. I would love to do this yeah. Sharon Horgan project called Shining Veil and trial and error, and that would keep and me both. very very busy. Absolutely, um, it's
0: a good problem to have when you're in love with what you do.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I and I have to be in love with everything I do, and and it's easier to say goodbye to something after before it's been fully realized. And but it, you know it's it's painful. At any stage when something ends because, you know, you create these characters in your head and um, they go away. But anyway, going back to it. So then you hire a line producer and a line producer really – once you get a line producer, they're the person that works. They're the liaison with the studio and they basically hire – they do your budget for you and then they will bring people in for you. Uh, And people in, because then you have to hire, you know, you have to hire wardrobe people and you have to hire, you know, art direction people and set builders. And and then once you have your director, then I empower my director to go find a DP and also, um, you know, an editor. Um, So, you know, I, I don't, not every grip reports to me. Yeah. But, you know, the, I like to kind of know people. I'm not, I'm not really good with names, Steve. And, um, I, uh, you know, it is, it is a real problem, but I come down, I like going out to the set and I like it, you know, I like knowing people and, you know, yeah. they're usually captain, skip, governor, admiral, yeah. you know, uh, boss. Uh, but you know, the one thing I was proud of on trial and error was there was, a one of the, one of the, uh, the, the teamsters who drove the van, um, was driving me to the set one day and you'd be embarrassed to know that that's really about a hundred yards away from where I, <laughs> my office was, pretty close. And uh, he was driving me there. This this one was we had we had three stages. So he was mm-hmm. in the first year, last year we shot in Vancouver, um, season two because our budget was slashed so dramatically, um, and. Um, Yes. If that didn't come off as bitter, it should have. (laughs) The microphone's (laughs) dripping, Um, by the way, this icy, dripping um, venom. Um, But he said, the van driver said, hey, I just want you to know, man, this is the happiest set I've ever worked on and everyone's happy here. And that, that meant so much to me. I said, thank you, Captain. And please tell Governor and Admiral and Dude that I feel the same way. All the other people I don't know whose names they are, but oh, that's why you you gave them those names. No, they just because I just oh, you okay. know, hey Chief, I I just okay. I'm not good with names, but yeah, this yeah. was this guy was like somebody I wouldn't normally interact with, just because you know they're stage people. I'm not, I'm I'm more yeah. back in my office, you know, on a typical day I'm mostly in the writers' room, and I'll come down to stage for an hour a day. Vancouver was a little different because we had to rewrite. We had to write before we got up there. So then, when I was up there, I was on stage, um, and then, you know, it just writers in general are not so comfortable with people, and um, but, you know, I, I um, really was happy to hear that that it was That's, a happy stage. And they said that too yeah. in Vancouver too. Everybody was like, you know, because in Vancouver all they do is dramas and superhero shows. There's no comedy up there, and everyone's just frozen. And everyone was just laughing and just having a yeah. great time. And, and I, I feel like that comes across.
0: I it it mean, I had the same experience as I told you just spending the morning with you guys. And you can see it on the show. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of chemistry. I don't understand why it's cheaper to shoot season two in Vancouver. Because don't you have to start paying for people's housing? Like, all, doesn't all these so, extra experience, expenses it, it, come up?
1: So you only, the actors get like. Um, $6,000 total Or a few thousand dollars total No matter how long the shoot is And that includes travel Not, not the A-listers The A-listers too Wow They got Kristen Chenoweth And Seth Colton Get the same amount And you know, they fly <laughs> you right. up there Wow um, On a You know Spirit air <laughs> And Um you know they they get the same whatever the the SAG is the SAG yeah. you know minimum or maximum is the same thing you know they they pay you a relocation fee and that's it and yeah. you know sometimes our our show was ten weeks and we shot forty five days and and in, in ten weeks and and that's all we had mm-hmm. and and the actors were amazing were unbelievable and they just stayed up there the the main cast stayed up there just because we had to just cram as much in as possible but there's also The dollar was like 75 cents. You get 75 cents uh, on the dollar Canadian and the crew gets paid in Canadian dollars, um, which is a big thing. And then plus you get 25% back on taxes. I I have to tell you, I think it's criminal that California is losing so much business. I think whatever California has to do to keep – production here this is what we do you know and this is trial and error was built uh, again out of my sheer laziness to be shot on the warner brothers lot it's you know you could see (laughs) in the the same in the gilmore girls street stars hollow that's where east peck was meant to be and we really really lucked out that we went up uh in vancouver and there was a street that looked like east peck and it was actually better because we got to use practical um you know, sets that were built on, on the street. But, you know, it was, look, we were we were meant to be here on the lot, and we couldn't afford it. The offices here at Warner Brothers were $60,000 a month. Wow. Uh, I wound up having a friend of mine who had office space way off the lot, you know, like the anus of Van Nuys, and we were literally in a blood bank. Wait, uh, what do you mean? Uh, we, were, we shot, because we couldn't afford offices on the lot here. So I had a buddy of mine who runs this, sweatshop and i said <laughs> do you have any extra offices he's like we do we have uh these offices that i can give them to you for 6500 a month which was so 10 percent." and i said yes we'll take them and we were literally like they were, "We were past like these ukrainian bitcoin miners there and the, the offices were really really hot and, <laughs> really, yeah. and it was every day we had a police scanner in the room just to wow. see when it was safe to leave yeah it was a really shitty neighborhood wow. and um you know we but i had to i had to let go um my writers' budget in the first season was over um was about one hundred thirty thousand dollars an episode for writers, and I had great. I had seven showrunners on on staff, and you know, just people I knew, and just great. And I had to cut that down from one hundred thirty episode to thirty an episode. I had wow! To, I had to fire just about all my writers. Wow! Really played money ball. My sister did me an unbelievable favor, considering how shitty I treated her when we were growing up, and she. Did it for practically nothing. She came in three days a week, and I called in favors and really got any writers that the studio or network would pay for, and and we did it and we pulled it off. But and I guess that's one of the hard things about
0: this being your show that you're running is now you've got the you've been told you have to cut the budget by so much, but you also have to cut the people that you
1: like so much. Yes, that was that was a real that was a real shame, and and uh, you know, look, it's the business. There's not. You know, Warner Brothers is here and is uh, able to afford guards that can keep you off the lot because of uh, right, right, the right. multi-cameras, because right. of the check lorry totally. shows. And, and uh, you know, we they, from not really understanding the show to when this season, the people, the executives here just loved it. And it, and it became everybody's favorite show on the lot. And, you know, it wasn't a moneymaker and still have not really found its groove yet. But... Everybody loved it. Everybody was kind. The actors were kind. Mm -hmm. The writers were great, and everybody just—you know— one of my writers told me that you should know when I left the room. They said you should know that everybody in this room is really willing to kill for you, and and um, you know that's what that's that's what you want. Yeah. And um, now you know that
0: I've I write on my own, and I've you know written spec pilots because I think they're funny, and when I go to talk to somebody in the business, they always say the same thing. Well. yeah, go attach a showrunner and say, all right, I'm going to go win the lottery too. Right. How did you make your pathway into this business to flourish and becoming a, an actual
1: showrunner? So, you know, it it's funny because I, I spoke to a couple of years ago, I spoke to this uh, group of, I don't know if it was the University of Wisconsin kids, but kids, I speak to like college kids and I get this question. A lot, and um, you know they were all around the table, and I was telling I was talking about my career path, and and um, you know they said, "How do you become a showrunner?" And I said, "Well, you're." They didn't ask, "How do I become a staff writer?" Mm-hmm. Which is they were twenty three, and I said, "Well, I've been working for twenty five years, and you're only twenty three. So in two more years from now, that's how long it took me. Mm. Like as long as yeah. you've been on the planet plus yeah. two. Um, you know, I, I started out." Uh, my personal career I started out as an investment banker in New York and I wow. was yeah it was, I don't see that yeah neither did they <laughs> and uh, no one did really and that's why I'm here and uh, and I moved out here in the uh, the late 80s and um, I got into I delivered sandwiches I I was a food dude um, did you get fired from any of those jobs no never got really? fired from a job yes so I've never gotten fired from a job in fact I've always excelled yeah but I have a hard time seeing
0: that because like
1: Thank you're you. are very cerebral. Thank, thank you're you. You're very
0: cerebral. You're very smart. And I would just assume like when you're delivering sandwiches, you're probably thinking, I could write a show. Why am I delivering a tuna sandwich to no, this guy? No, I never thought I was. No,
1: I just yeah. thought someday I'm going to write a show about delivering sandwiches, which I did and didn't get made, but I sold a show about delivering oh, sandwiches so called Food Dudes. Really? Uh, so yeah. it was all research kind of? Like yeah, I, I knew those were literally my salad days when I was doing it. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of part of my... Stump speech when I talk to people who are who are writers, and it is, it's very very tough because after I, when I quit my job as an investment banker and moved out here to deliver sandwiches ostensibly, ostensibly, um, you know, people, including my dad, said, "What are you going to do? You know, you'll be back in two weeks." I had that kind of support, and um, you know, it came from a place of fear that, like, fear that I was going to be back in two weeks yeah. after quitting yeah. my job as an investment banker. And, um, you know, people said, what are you going to do if you don't make it? And, and it didn't even cross my mind. And it wasn't even this – it wasn't an attitude of, uh, of hubris like, well, of course I'm going to be – I'm never going to be a sandwich. Right? I mean I was – I remember I was a, I was a temp and I, I drove a car, a car I bought, a 1979 Volkswagen Rabbit, which was – I bought for $100 and it was mm. the worst investment of my life. And uh, it this is an old reference, but we used to call it the Exxon Valdez because it makes okay. so much oil. Oh, no. And it didn't have, have brakes. It had a um, handbrake. Oh, and it no, was, you're and kidding. No, and it was one time it was – It didn't it was, have brakes. No, it had a handbrake. <laughs> and there was – I worked for Talent Tree, temp agency, and um, there was one time that, that this woman called me. I wish I remember. I can remember Laura something. She called me up and said – uh, listen, you need to work downtown tomorrow. I got your assignment. They said they wanted the best, so I'm giving them you. And I said, um and it was back when we had these like lashing rains. It was like back in the back in the nineties pre climate change, I guess, or different climate change. Yeah, yeah. It was just like we had these I don't know, did you grow up around here?
0: Uh, no. But I've been here since ninety.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if you remember that we've had this, some really around that time, just you were here before I was then colossal rains and and, and just like flood and we we get them we get them now every now and again. I mean, we are in the right. desert, and you'll get these monsoon rains. And we had had one for a couple of days, and the you know the one on one was just basically the LA River, no difference, just a little wider. And um, you know, I had my car that didn't have brakes, and the, the water would come up from the bottom. And, and <laughs> she said, "Like, um, I need you to work downtown." And um, I had a suit, which is really what differentiated me from the other temps because I worked <laughs> on Wall Street. And uh, she said, you know, we got our, they wanted uh, to get the best, so I told them. And I said, like, and there were different grades. The lowest grade of pay was, like, data entry was, like, $6 an hour. And then it went up depending on what you did. And and, um, I said, as long as it's not data entry. Because for $6 an hour, I had to pay $20 to park down there. Right, yeah. And I was driving on a river with no brakes. And uh, so it seemed like that wasn't a lot to do pay for the funeral leave. and she said no it's actually data entry and I said I can't do it and she got furious she said I they asked for the best I told them that you were going to do this I said I can't do this and she told me then you will never temp in this town again you'll never temp yes. in this town. and I was so I was I didn't have the mind to say I hope not I was like oh yeah. god right and so I remember floating to work I remember the oh, car was went. like going diagonal. yeah of course not to temp again and and I remember Six dollars. She offered to pay for uh, half my parking. I wound up making four dollars that day. Oh yeah, yeah, soaked. And so I, I don't believe. Uh, I think it's a work ethic I've always had. That's not to say I'm better f- than anything. It's to say that I will be the best at whatever job you give me. And um, but I also knew that I was going to be a writer. There's no reason not to be. And it, it really didn't resonate with me when people said, "What are you going to do if you don't make it?" I was like, "Well, I'm here to be a writer. Of course yeah. I'll be a writer." Um, so did, I, did your sister have The dream at the same time No she came Because she was depressed At her job She said what should I do I said I don't know Come out and be a writer Now in fairness Once I Was a working writer I had a Ton of my friends Said well if he can do it I can do it And really none of them Right, made it, and then I they went Go back.
0: Ahead. Okay, so sorry, I, I interjected. I want to back up. After these jobs, you were terrific at sandwich all the stuff. How...
1: I don't mean to brag at how good a sandwich delivery guy I was, we'll but they did they did retire my number at Rainbow Kitchen, number, <laughs> cooler number four. Um, but um, you know, I I wound up getting a job. Uh, I wound up uh, getting into the Warner Brothers Writers uh, Development right, Program, nice. and um, you know I was there and and uh there are these two guys rinsler and warren who um very old school guys they were writers on the show full house um which was a show before it was fuller house and uh for your young listeners and um they uh they were doing a pilot they were working with jeff franklin who created full house on another pilot and they said hey do you want to come in and do um help us out on a pilot because I was like a real wise-ass in the group. My partner, writing partner, hated me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I would have too because I was just like this wise-ass in the group. But these yeah. guys, you know, they were from Brooklyn and they honestly used to write porn. Oh. And uh, the, they went to Full House. And you could see the, <laughs> you could see the slippery yeah. slope yeah, from absolutely. porn to Full House. And, uh, you know, they, they I mean, they wrote the jokes for porn magazines, whatever. And if you guys are listening, how are you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> with your kids, grandkids. <laughs> Um And, uh, you know, I, we wrote on this, we did punch up on a pilot called Hanger with Mr. Cooper. And I had to buy all my egg salad that week or else, because I, I couldn't lose my job as a food delivery guy. I didn't oh. know this was going to last. Oh, wow. And um, so the stuff
0: that you were going to deliver, you bought it. So yes, it I bought like it you were so that I looked
1: it? like, cause I couldn't, I still had wow. to be the best. So I bought all my, cause you had to pre-buy your stuff. So oh, it was actually oh. costing me money, but it was really one of the best weeks of my career. Yeah. Like getting paid to tell jokes and be in a room and i couldn't believe it and and I, I try to recapture that and not be cynical as i've been doing this as uh for a long long time um just how exciting it is it's
0: just not the same when you're shiny new at anything even oh, the yeah. first day you delivered sandwiches was probably pretty cool it,
1: you know i don't have memories of that being fun but i do have memories of uh when i was teaching uh sat classes there was something about the the uh, the food truck that i ate at this this uh egg and cheese burrito that I used to order every single day Um, and um, I don't know there's something about like the smell of that that like brings back a nice smell it's also because I was 26 and everything is you know firm
0: but you know that's what obsessed is about like you know my web series and also this podcast it's it's about remembering when things were full of potential in your mind even though things are exactly the same now your mindset change you've learned too much to be
1: that excited about this of course and it it is hard and it, it is like you know, and I say this about, you know, the, the, it's really appreciating what you have. And, and I understand objectively, you know, my wife, when when I get depressed and, and, and you know, and that happens, uh, I think everybody does. She's like, just think of where you are and what you would give to, you know. And even when I was sitting on the couch, you know, we were sitting on the couch and she said, like, you, John Lithgow Remember when you had that idea And you said to me What if uh, You know This was a comedy And John Lithgow Wound up playing for you And you know And I can text John Lithgow And yeah. Kristen Chenoweth And I became friendly With Lin-Manuel Miranda And I have wow. all these guys And and it's really amazing It's really really fun It doesn't make me feel Any more important Than that Temp who was floating yeah. Down the 101 Right yeah. um, You know But You know it's, I think it's important I think it's important To be the best At what you do and I think it's important, you know, because the, there's uh, I will say this is it's very, very difficult to make it now. Like when I came here uh, to the first time on the Warner Brothers lot, there were Lorimar television, uh, which doesn't exist, which was run by a young, uh, former failed actor named Leslie Moonves. I don't know what happened to him. Um, no but and uh, so he was running Lorimar. Uh, this is pre Peter Roth and uh, they had 22 half hour shows, just the one wow. studio within Warner Brothers had 22 half hour shows. There aren't 22 half hour shows now no. in total. So it was, there was a lot to work on and you know um, but I've, I've still, and it's much harder now. It's harder as you know, someone in my demographic to get work. Um, you know, I'm blessed that I, you know, I'm a showrunner and I have a deal here now and I'm, still i I feel like creatively i'm at my peak which is good um it takes more coffee to yeah not nap as much but i would say like advice wise that the the good thing is everybody who's truly talented i believe gets work you know there's a lot of work I, i i don't i haven't seen somebody who's really really talented who doesn't work um on the flip side of it there's a lot of people who you know were marginally talented that used to Really get work and 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 also nobody considers themselves marginally talented. Like I, you don't meet someone and say, absolutely. Uh, right. So I'm dying to be a writer. Are you good? Eh, yeah, yeah right, eh, right. Am I right? You yeah. know, I'm dead entry, six dollars an hour. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Um. But but it's different. You know, the Warner Brothers writers program now is is essentially a uh, you know really hinges a lot on diversity. Um, you know people. You know, I got in on a spec script, Seinfeld script. You know, people... I don't even know what you'd write a spec script of now. Like, if you had to write a spec... Like, what is it? I don't watch comedy now. The the shows I watch on TV are not comedy, uh, which is, you know, why I try to create shows that I'd laugh at.
0: Yeah. But when you were on um, hanging with Mr. Cooper and you were doing Punch-Up, was there a time where you went through the rope of becoming... The writer's assistant, no. story editor. No, so I
1: never did that. Uh, well, you, yes, you, you become. I mean, the the I was hired from the pi- from the pilot. It got picked up. I became a staff writer,
0: and then you amazing. That, you're actually a staff writer. So the first the, fir-
1: the first week I was punching up, and then it got picked up to series, and they said, you know, we want you to be the, this or full house. We want you to, you know, I I I was very very good in the room, although. I was a real a-hole, also, and the the very early part of my career, probably the first ten years, I was the guy who contributed slightly more than I detracted. I was less uh, refined, maybe, than I am now. You're
0: kind of like the class clown.
1: Yeah, I, I was just I was just a little bit. I was very, very passionate about stuff, and and I was a, like, um, you know, I was just more abrasive than I am now, less you know, tired, more energy. And I felt very, very passionate about stuff. Like we were in the friends room, we would scream at each other to get our point across. And it was just, and we also just like, we knew we were part of something magical and we all had really strong voices and it was the loudest voice got heard. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't run my rooms like that now. Now I've, is very disciplined and, you know, um, but, You know, I I, thankfully I've been working consistently since that first job twenty six years ago, and um, you know I would say that it was because of my work ethic that I made sure. uh, And I don't see that a lot. I see that in some writers, and and I I love that when I see it, and it's rarer and rarer. Um, But I see that in people who are just willing to go the extra mile to take a script home and to say, "Let me do that again." let me try that again. I, I, you know, and and I used to, used to drive my partner crazy. Like if we got something rewritten, I would say, can we take it home over the weekend and try again? Yeah. And the showrunner would be like, no, 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 I have to, you don't understand. Yeah. And, and for me, if I didn't get in a giant joke every day, I felt like garbage. Yeah. And you know, that takes a special type of self-loathing to really excel. <laughs> um, but you know, you also have to have talent and you, you know, have to probably have a shitty upbringing um,
0: comedy comes from tragedy you know, I boy. was going to bring that up Obviously there's so much to talk about I didn't But comedy comes from tragedy yes. You have to have been through some serious stuff In order to get where you are In order to uh, see the thank, comedy in Yes,
1: it. thank God my sister and I both come from uh, From uh, from a trying uh, yeah. upbringing But um, I know people are like Wow, what, you know, your parents must have been funny I was like, nah, nah. Nah, know yeah. where it comes from, yeah. and and there there could be people, uh, you know. I know people, a few people who came who did uh, who just happen to be naturally funny, but uh, I earned it, and yeah. I'll we'll leave it at that. I love my parents. Yeah, yeah, listening. I get it. Um, I'm but, funny too. I understand. Yes. <laughs> so yes, three thousand years of persecution compressed into right. adolescence, um, but. Um, so I did not, now I know there are a lot of other people. One of the writer assistants on Friends wound up eventually becoming executive producer on the show. Um, I know there are people who, who work their way up from writer's assistant in the room. They get some jokes in, then they become on staff and they, they do it. I, I, yeah, that's one way to go. I wouldn't, I would be a terrible writer's assistant. I think writer's assistant is the hardest job there is in the room. Mm. Almost as hard as, as a showrunner because you are everything you do is being broadcast on a TV monitor and you're having some a-hole like me yell and say, no, not there, there, why aren't you following my eyes? Which is impossible to do. <laughs> and it's very, very difficult. As I, I always give my writer's assistants an inch thick stack of money for the holidays just because I realize that right. like, it's very frustrating um, for them and, and you have to have a certain disposition. And, and a lot of times it's very difficult to pitch if your job, you, you have to have the balance as a writer's assistant of – Pitching, some, being able to pitch, but also not doing your own thing. I had a writer assistant who would just pitch his own stuff, and then I would pitch, and he didn't hear me, and it was like never, mm. never. Like, and and I had another writer assistant who wanted to be a writer, and he thought he was doing a great job because he got a couple of jokes in the show. And I said, that's not what I think a good writer assistant is. I think a good writer assistant is somebody who is able to keep up with me on the page and who is able to get down everything I say and remember where it goes. And I have staff writers for that, for jokes. And so there's a disconnect a lot of times. I I find that people who try to get in via writer's assistant have a different expectation of what it means to be a good writer's assistant. That's fascinating. Oftentimes a writer's assistant... um, what you think makes you a good writer assistant is really what you think makes you a good writer. So, it, and it's an audition. Not to say that it can't work, it certainly can work that way. And, and you have to be a really special skilled person and, and you can yeah. get in
0: the room. But you have specific needs when you're in the writer's yes. room. Yes.
1: Yeah. It comes, you have to do your job. And then on top of that, you yeah. have an audience for me. And that's a great thing you have an audience. Now, if you bug me, then it's, you know, it's, uh, then you're done. If, if you're, and, and um, you know, and and um you know, I've had some really good writer assistants. I've had I've had two one writer assistant who I promoted um to writer and she's doing well. She's a now successful writer and of my own. And then um the one I used last year I would have brought onto staff. He had a great disposition. He did his job and also had a good disposition of a comedy writer and got a few jokes in and, and uh but it's it's hard. I bet. So, you know, still the benefit of being a writer versus an actor is that you can constantly create as a writer and you can constantly write as you're doing. You can constantly find, uh, you know, outlets for your material. So I would say the advantage of working in an agency is that you... Get to read a lot. You should be studied. You know, for me, I guess I still get spec scripts written by people who have not looked at the script before. Like, mm-hmm. look what the script looks like. Look how it's formatted. Even how it's typed. If you send in something with typos, I'm gonna. It better be really funny because I'm yeah. gonna hate you immediately. <laughs> right. Um. You know, and when it has your address on, you know, uh, whatever on King's Road apartment. 24 and, 24 and a half B and you copyright it WGA that means that you mailed it to yourself that's not impressive right? Yeah. Um, you know like make it look like something make it look like a script I would say for a spec script and this is what people don't tell you the if I love your spec script that means I've read seven pages of it hmm. wow. Um you want to start out really really if I hated it that means I read a page and a half of it so really there's wow. not maybe I read three pages of it, but like it's a difference of four pages if yeah. I loved the script and hated it. And and that's because I have so many scripts to read. And, you know, you have stacks and stacks and stacks of scripts to read. And it's really like that the the first joke on the page. Right. You've it's, really got to get them right, yeah, right you away. Yeah, you gotta get them and and it's like especially if you're starting out, if you're a staff writer, I'm not looking for somebody who is has unbelievable structure. It's cool if you're doing something really, really neat. Um but if it starts off with like a a half a page of stage direction, the, I could tell you right now I'm angry at you. Because I can't read a half a page of stage right. direction. Right. Um on the other hand, if it just starts off Bill and he says the line and it's like right. Who's Who's Bill? Bill. Like it's a it's a balancing thing. Like you you have to it can't be generic. It has to be, you have to grab somebody in the cold open. Is it
0: more enjoyable for you, just personally, to read an original concept spec or a, a spec from trial and error or Seinfeld?
1: It, it, you know, it's hard to say. Good writing is good writing. I, I would say an original, as annoying as it is to read an original, it tells me because it, it depends on what you're doing. If If I'm writing a, if I'm writing a show, if I'm writing a new show, and and it's very very difficult to get a show on, you know, for multiple seasons, I, you know, I got two seasons out of it, hopefully more. Mm-hmm. But if I'm writing, if I'm writing a, it depends what I want. If like, if I were to read trial and error, if I were, to, if I were to, you know, hire people for trial and error now, season three, I would want to see a spec based on something on the air that tells me you could write for other people's characters. If um. If I'm like, for example, Shining Veil, I will probably read original stuff because I don't need to know how you're writing for other people's characters because you're going to be... I have my own characters, but you're going to be... We're going to be developing them together and you're going to be coming up with original ideas. I don't need to know how you can, you know, write a Chandler joke. You know, right. I mean, joke yeah. structure is important. And again, it's... its The bar is higher on a spec script. Like, i I would it would be very hard for you to impress me with a trial and error script. I mean, my writers, I had to be in the room for my writers for trial and error script. Like the stuff that happened when I wasn't in the room, it, it doesn't have my bend on it. And yeah. I had great writers. I was able to get amazing stuff out of them. And 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 um, you know, and a few of them really, really got it. But other ones who were hilarious in the room, when they set out to write a script, it just, it, like trial and error, I know what a line sounds like from my characters and it's in my head. And a lot of it is even And my sister, who's a genius said like, when you leave the room, it's like, we don't know what's in your head. Um, and so, you know, I, would rather you write something that you feel passionate about. And, um, I think personally you write something that you feel passionate about and that you could write specific and really, really know who the characters are.
0: When you're running your writer's room, because it's comedy and comedy plays to audiences, do you like to make sure you guys are together seeing if the jokes work or do you send them off on their own and come back with the jokes? And the-
1: so, I, you know, look, when we started out, I'm trying to think of, you know, writers' rooms were like 15 people in there. Now, uh, I think a good-sized writers' room is like six people. Mm. Um, I will... If we need a joke, if we're stuck on a joke, like, I, I really believe, like, in terms of story, in terms of breaking story, um, you know, first thing you do is you break the story. You know, the first t- t- thing you come in, you come in, you say, like, where do we want to go in the season? That's what I do, is, like, say, okay, so this is where we're going to go in the season. Um, let's chart out the season. Let's know, we know that we're starting here, we know we're going there, we know that this is going to happen here, this is going to happen here. And you kind of get a general yeah. idea of, especially, like, trial and error, where it's, it's, you know, serialized. And you know it's going to have to end at the end of the case. We knew this year that uh, episode five was going to be the verdict and this case was going to spin around. So we knew that. Um, For trial and error, it was a show that used a lot of um, references to other tropes, to other shows. So we wrote down lists of tropes that we wanted to use in scenes and things that we could parody. So it it became a lot easier. Um, But in terms of the writing of it, you know, I like to break it, the story, pretty thoroughly so that the writer um, can put their own stuff in there but you know they come out in an outline we we did this year we had the time to do it also but we did and and i know the writers got frustrated by it but we did probably like four or five drafts of every single outline Okay. and because i want the outline to read like the script because that's where you're going to see the problems and every every step of the way you see the problems and then you then you do a draft and, I mean, we average by the – we probably did like seven or eight drafts. I mean like every single show was so constructed. Every single move was so constructed that like we did – you know, we did a lot of drafts of stuff and then I would go and take a pass. But, you know, the energy of a room um, when people pitch off of each other is fantastic as long as you have people who are playing their parts. You know, I had uh, – there are some writers who are very, very quiet and then we will say – one thing a day that is so freaking funny that you're just like wow and nobody else can it. come up with yeah. that you have other writers who just are they're constantly talking if they stop talking they'll die and they <laughs> destroy you but every now and again they'll get something unbelievable out of them too and more often than not but you know they you know whatever they're 300 yeah. hitters but they pitch a lot of shit and then you have most people and then you have some people who are very very thoughtful you have some people who are quiet but like or, like, do structural stuff. The pe- the annoying people are the people who just find typos. But there are people who say, you know, uh, you know, you put it, it's a, it's like a team. I mean, I look at it like a baseball team. Like, you need your leadoff hitters. You need somebody who's going to, you know, spark the rally and get on base and just yeah. say, I-, I don't need everybody to come up with the giant story turn. There are usually one guy in the room or one lady and one woman in the room will come up with these big funny story ideas and, and you know... um and I really need people to, you know, one of my uh, co-showrunners, um, Mike Schiff, said when this staff writer was arguing with me, he said, he shut them down said, it doesn't have to be the right way. It has to be Jeff's way. Mm. And I realized that that was insulting but true at the same time. It's right, like, right. It's like, it's because it's, there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of different ways to do every single story. Like, yeah. I've done enough stories. I've told enough stories to know that, you know, usually not inventing mm-hmm. something, that much but like for me as a showrunner i i want to pick away and go to it i'm not one of these people and and i've worked on two really two or three bad situations in 26 years i've been very lucky and, and those are shows that you write until you know three or four in the morning and are really hard now yeah. friends we wrote till three or four in the morning but that was just because the showrunner david crane um was just so meticulous about finding the perfect joke and he was a genius and he was also he heard everybody out and we had you know 18 writers that he had to listen to but you know he was a genius and because he wouldn't accept anything other than a plus mm-hmm. every single draft or it got you know thrown out and started over and that's why that show was not a success and um <laughs> but no he was a genius in his in his own way um not in his own way and objectively yeah. genius um but there are other as i've worked through who i resonate more with who are just like this is the way we're going pitch on that i need you to row yeah and um
0: i need you to row that's that's actually really interesting way of saying it you need everybody to carry their their own weight you're setting the destination or that yes. showrunner's setting the destination and you need everybody's participation to get there
1: yes exactly Got it. and don't pitch me something that's going to take me off of it like once i say this is the way we're going and and that would be the f- most frustrating thing now if you have a really good reason why we shouldn't go this way you better have a really good uh direction to go after that mm-hmm. and and by the way and i will I will hear that and I will listen to that and and I'm pretty good at, you know, seeing an idea that if it's good and say, let's try to get there. And there are some jokes that, you know, I really – some jokes that just were really, really good that we tried to work in that, that we couldn't and we became a little sweaty. But like I would – I'll also reward – if I have people who are working really, really hard, um, I had a few writers who were just so good and – they would do jokes that wouldn't necessarily fit, but they were so good and I was like, I would work hard to get those jokes in and at some point right yeah and 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 to work hard and we had um we wrote so we had so many scenes and, and and last season specifically we had this one we had this one joke that it was so um it was it was a funny it was a, i'm trying to think of the the start, of, the start of the joke was basically that um, it was with Jesse Ray Beaumont. It was last year, and when he, I didn't even know how much of this got in, even that he was a pallbearer at the at the funeral, and um, they showed a picture of him holding Chet's coffin. He was a little person; he was holding it like a cooler. We used basically they made the <laughs> cooler, and uh, Josh says, "How? Wait, how you were? If you were arrested for murder, how do you how do you become a?" a Polar bearer and Dwayne goes hey, i imagine if you're a polar bear you can do anything you want So it started <laughs> off with that i don't even know whose joke that was uh if you're a polar bear you can do anything you want and right. then
0: and it fits in so right with his character by yes way. Yeah. so
1: but so we had the the notion that it was a polar bear this was crazy it got really really crazy and it, it got actually too crazy even for me <laughs> so um Dwayne goes, well, I have some interesting news. Uh, this file was redacted. And not only that, I learned something interesting. If you're a polar bear, you, in fact, cannot do anything you want. And then I came up with the <laughs> Polar Bear Parties Over Act. And then we had Dwayne Cutaway of Dwayne explaining the Polar Bear Parties Over Act. It happened in 1972. We had something I wrote in the first episode that the pecs had a, and this got cut out too for time. There was an East Peck walkthrough safari. Um, and um, a polar bear escaped in 1972 and destroyed a slushy machine. And because of that, there was the polar bear party over act. And then it went down to on the wall, there was a wanted sign with a polar bear. And it was just like, we can't, we, guys, we lost guys We got too far. But I did entertain for a longer than I should have uh, the notion that um, there was a polar bear that was wanted. <laughs> um, for destroying a slushy machine, and um, you know, so you know, you you can go off on tangents, and- right, but
0: I don't want to get stuck on this point too much. But immediately when you say slushy machine, polar bear, everybody understands, like right. it, everybody can relate to what you're saying. It's, yes, like I don't even know how you come up with stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that was that wasn't my. Uh, I, I I had the polar bear parties overact, and then uh, two, I don't know if it was Gerard and Zinnman or David Booth, three really great. All my writers were great, but they really came up with outside-the-box mm-hmm. stuff, and they had that, like, the, the polar bear destroyed, two polar bears destroyed a slushy machine, and that's why yeah. polar bears were no longer r- running free uh, in the streets of East Peck. And, and it just became, <laughs> that's why. you know, but there was... There was also a tonal thing with the show. Like, I couldn't let the show become Angie Tribeca. And I said... And the show couldn't be a sitcom. And and every now and again, they try to do sitcoms. And I remember that. It was really hard for them when I was in Vancouver and they were here. And they would, you know, pitch me stories. And they pitched a story where Josh starts gaining a lot of weight because he's eating too much. And I said, I was like, guys, it's not... It's not our show. It's yeah. just not our show. It has to come from a crime documentary or it yeah. doesn't fit. And, and you know, they worked really, really hard. And we, as a team, we needed to be there. But I would say, you know, that's once you get on staff. Like, to get on staff, it's just really having a person. It's having a great personality where you can make people laugh once they get it. But the first thing is the script and it's really whatever's going to get that script into a showrunner's hands because it's it's you can try to get it to the studio but at the end of the day it's the showrunner has to read your script and laugh yeah or or have it be really really interesting because again there's different people in the room i don't Got need it. you know i don't need the everybody to be like giant joke people it doesn't no. work if you have a lot of and and a lot of times giant joke people um aren't aren't great in a room because they just pitch jokes. And and I always say jokes are free. Like I I didn't like jokey jokes on our show. We happen to have unbelievable jokes, I think, and people came up with great jokes, but it was all character driven. I'd rather have people who understand the human condition.
0: And it makes me think that it must be kind of hard getting through a meeting to become a potential writer or staff employee because yes, the script has to be funny, but a lot of people freeze up when they're in job interviews. Right. And from what you're saying, it sounds like you really have to show your personality. We have to see if we're going to mesh and if you get yes. the humor. So any tips for that?
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, schedule your appointment. As close to the end of the day as possible. Hmm. For me, I've always hired the last person I've met. That's is it for me. Really? Yes. No. Um, yeah. So the next interview that comes in after you is going to be better. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, I have. I've always hired the last person. It's either primacy or recency effect. You know, wow. so the it's the one thing I remember from psychology is like either the first person or the last person uh, you meet. A lot of times you get stuck in the middle. Um, but I would say, you know, don't try to hog the car I mean it's it's like a date it's like a date it's chemistry and if you have chemistry with the person I usually will read a script and that'll just and and I'll give you the benefit of the doubt if I'm on the fence and I read like three pages of script it's like you know what that was a really funny joke or that was a really I like the camera work on this thing and I like and that really surprised me I mean you want a script that's going to surprise someone yeah and if you get that you get a script that surprises them and then after that um you come in the room and you're friendly and you're funny and you're relatable and you, and you seem like the kind of person that you're going to want to be in a room with for, you know, 13 hours a day. And a lot of that is just, you know, it's just natural chemistry. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you can tell a lot from just a person, just who they are. I mean, you know, if you're nervous and you're sweating, you're probably going to be like, or if you're like talking a mile a minute, you're, you, you have to think, Um, shit I may not want to spend a lot of time with it and also a lot of it is not in your control I mean for me for a staff writer I want funny people I want funny people and I want nice people and I want pleasant people and I want people with you know I mean there's some people right off the bat where you know they're just like they have a funny look to them and they just like have a funny disposition and I'm just like and I'll say to them in the room I'll say "All right, you have the job now (laughs) Now you can only ruin it yeah. and Like and see how they react to that, yeah. <laughs> you know. little pressure there. Um, but no, but it's also like it depends on who. If I just hired like two really good story people who aren't that funny, then you better come in and be really funny. If I yeah. just hired a really, really funny person, then like well, I really want somebody who's, you know, it's also background. It's also interesting. It's also how much work you did on the show. Like if you come in and you tell me you haven't seen the show, you're done. There's no chance you'll get the job. And I've had that. I've had funny people come in and like, what do you like about the show? It's like, oh, I really like this. It's like, you just, you read a really early draft of the script and you didn't read any more than mm. that. That's not in the script anymore, you know, or, you know, and you can pitch me some stuff. And I've had people who pitched stuff or, or say like, this is why, you know what, I, my parents were lawyers and my dad told me this really funny story. You know, I think it would be funny for your show. Um, and and it's a big swing, but yeah. you know, I, I think you I think you want to take those swings and you want to stand yeah. out.
0: Interesting. I'd like to talk to you about when you first started going out pitching your own material. So you've written for other shows. I think I told you I had a meeting at CBS Development just to to learn, and the guy at the Development was you know telling me that everything I thought about getting a show made is is wrong, you know, because they have mandates that they have to go through. Had brought up that I worked for you. He knew the whole story of trial and error, he knew your pitch. I think he had been there before. And basically, was it Alec Bonick? Do you remember who it was? I'll have to look it up. Okay, I have uh, the name problem that you do, I don't remember names. Um, but it sounded to me like there was so much respect that was tagged on to your name that at this point, anything that you've got to pitch, people are going to be open to hearing. But there was a time. When you had to figure out how to get in the room, do I bring in a, a one sheet? Do I have my
1: all my beats written out? My- so I'll tell you a good example of this was um, when I did uh, – the first show I did on my own was called Food Dudes. And it just happened that I had uh, one of maybe two occasions where my agent actually had a good idea. It was like I told him about my experience and he goes, actually, that's a show. I smell money. I was like, huh. And I came in and it was my first pitch and I brought in – I hired an actor to sell sandwiches in the middle of the pitch. (laughs) And he came in and uh, this guy came and sold sandwiches in the middle of the pitch and actually sold stuff. And they said, this is what a food dude is. And and afterwards it was Steve McPherson who said, I'm not buying this from Jeff. I have no room on this. I will pick it up just because I want to work with the guy. The guy was really, really funny. I would say in the room – I've also had disasters where I've talked for two hours uh, as if I'm doing the Seth Colton show <laughs> yeah. and um, thinking that just being a funny person and that doesn't work either. Like yeah. I think what you want to do is you want to come in. Um, I mean, this is my formula for a pitch. Yeah. Great. You come in and, and now most people know me, although there's a new generation of, of, of people. I, you know, I, I, I tell people that, Almost everybody I pitch to now at one point has uh, asked me if I want my water cold or room temperature like this just so never shit on an assistant because you're going to be pitching uh, to them, uh, you know and every single per- literally every person I work for interesting um, and uh, they it's very funny because when Bruce Evans took over at, at NBC in one of the spots and I said Bruce Evans I've known that guy he's like yeah he's, he's been in show business longer than anybody else. I was like, I know. I said, Bruce, didn't we work together on Friends? Were you the executive? He's like, no, no, I was a PA. I was mm. like, fuck, I've been around longer than the person who's been around the longest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I know most of the personalities. I know most of the people. And, yeah, so I'll, if I come and pitch something, people will want to hear. It doesn't mean I'll sell it. You yeah. know, I went around with Sharon Horgan and, you know, we pitched the seven places and only got uh, two offers, which is great, but only one person showtime, which is all you need. Loved it. And you know, so it's different when you pitch for streaming, uh, versus network. Um, but I'll just tell you like a network pitch, please. Um, you come in there, you, some kind of joke, disarm them, you know, be funny because there's going to be small talk. There's going to be banter and you have to be facile and easy and comfortable with it. And then you say, okay, so this is the show. Um, this happened to me or, you know, for trial and error, this is the pitch. It's like I became obsessed with as I'm looking for shows to do. Uh, I, I was starting to get so sick of my own story. And uh, then I was watching something called The Staircase. Have you seen The Staircase? No. Okay. This is what it's about. This this. It's about a guy who murders his wife. Are you still listening? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then I pitch the actual cold open of that show. And then people are like, that's our show um and we pitched the 911 call and people are already laughing like get people laughing right away get people hooked and then you say um you know with shining veil i said you know this is the uh we Sharon and I did some banter and then we talked about you know Sharon had this unbelievable observation that um that she figured out that women are more than twice as uh, likely to be depressed and twice then men and twice as likely to be uh possessed by demons as men and the symptoms are exactly the same (laughs) and it's true and it's like ah i'm on board so then we said okay this is the character this is how the show opens so you usually start with how the show opens and you go back and you talk about the characters and in you really you always want to imbue it with something personal why you are the person to write the show why this show now what you love about the show like you have to be in love with this project you can't just be Like I – there's a lot of reruns and I thought why not Facts of Life? You know, it has to be – I was – I grew up on Facts of Life. Mm -hmm. I named my doll Mrs. Garrett. (laughs) You know, it's like you – like I'm obsessed with this. What if Facts of Life was now took place in a prison? You know, whatever the thing is. You know, it has to be something so personal because people love that. No matter what, if they think it happened to you, it's – yeah, it's a, it's a, a right. sell. Nice connection. yeah you know, there's a connection, and then you can. They want you to, they want you to sell it. They really do. They people want to buy something from you. People really want to be able to tell their boss, "Oh my god, I heard the funniest thing." Also, clarity. This is what it is. You have to give them a log line. Hmm. You have to because there's going to be one person in the room, the most junior person, who is not going to say anything, but who you're going to wind up pitching to two years from now, and they're going to be writing like a court stenographer every single thing you write down and the log line is going to you can tell the lower down the more writing they do and they're going to be in the corner and you're going to get like nervous like a police sketch artist like a courtroom (laughs) artist and they are going to be writing everything down and you want to give a log line because they're going to have to sell us to unless they're decision makers in the room if you're pitching to lower level people they're going to have to say this is the log line and you're going to have to give them something bite sized that they can give back but assuming you're in the room you want to sell an idea um, you have to have a really strong log line and you have to you have the characters, you have the stories uh, why it's personal to you and I always end with and that's our show and these are what they these are what the episodes are going to be this is what the first season Arc is going to be this is the second season this is the third season. And you are out of that office within 25 minutes. Got it. And that is so important.
0: And is their
1: goal still to make sure
0: that they have a show that they can syndicate forever? Are they still thinking about that? Or No, are they it's quality? very
1: different now. Like there's no syndication anymore. Like they want to know that you've thought it out. Mm-hmm. They want to know that you've thought that. And again, streaming is very, very different. Streaming, you have to have, you know, for Shining Rail, which is the first time I pitched something for streaming. You know, I had to have the first 10 episodes beaten out, which I did. And then I had the first three season arcs. Wow. And so it's a lot of work. And you go through flip cards with this. This is what happens in the second episode. And this is like it's you kill yourself. And you never, ever, ever will use that. But they want to see why. They want to know that they can get at least 10 yeah. episodes out of you. you know. So if you talk about this is my marriage, and this is why my marriage is really unique. I'm actually married to a dolphin. And we have such crazy stories. And you know these are some examples of stories these are the kind of things i want to do and this is the real truth to it this is like this is the real truth to it to to the uh, to the show to my show this is what i bring to it this is why i've always wanted to do this this is why i'm the exact person to do this and make it personal yeah. i would say make it personal make it funny and make it something that somebody else could give over to somebody to their boss
0: is the goal to get a yes in the room or is yeah, the goal to is- get another meeting
1: no for sure not another meeting. The goal is to get a yes in the room or in the elevator on the way out. Got you it. know, um, they say that yeses are harder to get in the room now. Um, but it depends on the confidence of the person you're pitching to. And, and for me, it, at the network, usually they'll go, yeah, let's do this. And that's great. Got and it. you sold it in the room. and But, but it doesn't – it doesn't it's exciting until you get back to your car and then you're stuck with your life anyway. Um, but you feel really good about it. And, yeah. then, and then you – deal with what that meant you you have to I will say this for everything that you have is you just enjoy every single victory because right. you know it all ends the same way and um, yeah. like Good Lavinia point. says in a hole in the ground but it you know even along the way you know we, we there's so there's so many obstacles and there's so and yeah. a single elimination you know as soon as one person says no it's done yeah. you know it's like you write the script and you so many people chime in and then all it has to do is get To the person at the top's desk, and they're like, eh, We don't really do that. We went, we did something like that last year, and what, nah. yeah, and you're done, right? And that's it, and it, doesn't, it goes away forever.
0: And it's interesting because it, it could be brilliant, but if it's similar to something that they, they yeah, tried, they before, just bought right? something,
1: or they tried yeah. this, or they, you know, they have a mandate that you know, the guy from you know, crazy, uh, crazy rich Asians wants to do something, and like, we yeah. you know, all want to do is crazy rich Asians now, anything you have, crazy and rich or Asian, type, <laughs> will, will <laughs> it's sell. gonna go.
0: How about um, casting? How involved are you in the day-to-day, not the series regulars, but the guest stars and the recurring co-stars? Do you watch tapes? Do you sit in producer sessions? So
1: that that's that's probably the biggest change over the last like five years is that there's no more producer sessions anymore. For casting, uh, you know, main cast? No, of,
0: for like courtroom clerk. or
1: No, it's all tape. Wow. It's all tape. Or if you really trust your... Casting director, you know, like we did with Ken and Nikki. You know, it was different. We were up in Vancouver. You had to hire a number of local hires, and it was a it's a smaller pool up there, certainly for comedy. It, it's very quirky, and we hired some really funny people. There's a funny, weird improv scene up there, which we got to tap into. Um, but um, and you know, the the guy who played the uh, Mayor Denkins, associate Mayor Denkins, is so funny that we we just saw him, and we it actually. He rapped, and then we went back, and they saw the cut of the first episode, and they're like, we don't have enough of Lavinia. And we didn't have any money to shoot anything else, so I said, like, what if we get this guy, Mayor Dinkins, just to explain how much she meant to the town? And he was so funny that we did that. I wrote a piece for him that started the show. And awesome. Because like, he was so funny that yeah. like, we just loved him and loved watching him, and he was so weird, and he was like a Monty Python character. And, um, but he came off a of tape. And, you know, and, and a lot of times it'll be the, you know, one guy I saw in an improv show up there. And I thought he was really, really funny. Um, these two guys who I'm working with on this other project I saw doing uh, improvised Shakespeare company. And I was like, these guys are geniuses. And yeah. they came in and they had a great idea that we're developing. Oh, so, awesome. Wow. Yeah. So that could happen. Yeah. Um, you know, if they they were just geniuses and I had to know how... They did what they did, which was an hour and a half of Shakespeare improv, and it turns out they're just geniuses.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, then they had these two characters that they pitched that they did, and they said, "We always wanted to do a show about them." And I was like, "That's hilarious! Let's do that." And um,
0: so you never know where things can go.
1: Yeah, but but in day to day now, it is either the casting director somebody owes somebody a favor, like the 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 guy we had play uh, Dwayne's brother cousin initially it was going to be Stephen uh, doing you know doing it himself, but we didn't have time to shoot it that way and didn't have the money to shoot it. So, you know, they, Kurt Eila was a friend of Ken and Nikki's. They're like, he can do it. He looked, and we just saw a picture of him like done. Yeah. And does know, it
0: make it more challenging ever on set when it used to be producer sessions and you could say, I have yes. an idea. Try this.
1: Yes. Uh, so this actually, there was one person we fired hmm. and we should have brought back the original person from LA cause we wound up taking someone from LA anyway. But um, Angel Parker, who was great as Heidi Baker, but um, in the first season, but yes, you don't get to do that. Um, you just don't have time. I just don't have time to go into producer session. Right. No, I get it. You know, unless it's a big, you know, you know, like like they for you know they they had for the guy who played the handwriting analysis. They said, "Do you want to use you know, you know, Jim O'Hurley, whatever Jim, the the guy from uh, Parks and Rec, Jerry?" It was like, "Yeah, of course." So he got yeah. it. But we saw tapes. All the guys who played Cameltoe, we saw tapes of. Uh, who's
0: coming up with these names? The judges on Trial and Error have the
1: best names. Yes, we have a good one for next year too. Um, yeah, that's just something. Um, uh, Cameltoe. Yeah, we. You know, it's. Yeah, that was just a fun name that no one could believe we got to say. All his lines were said. It, it too small to hear. That's all it said, and he improvised everything. And he was really saying things, and everybody was just blown away by him.
0: Thank you. This has been so much fun to get to know you. I always save my call sheet from projects that mean something to me. wonderful. Would you sign it before we go? Of course I would. And everybody, you should check out Trial and Error. um, If You can find it on demand. If not, I'll send you a bootleg
1: copy. Great. Beautiful. And and we hope to have it online soon uh, for everyone to see.
0: And there we have it, another great episode. Thanks to our guests for being so generous. Thanks to you for listening and being a part of this community. This has been brought to you by Obsessed.com. Please check it out for fun videos and updates. And don't forget to find something that you're obsessed with.